welcome to the Indigo Magic Podcast. This is your Monday morning magic episode for the week of May 25th through the 31st. This is the last week of May already. I don't know how, but it genuinely feels like May has somehow moved even faster than April, and I'm not sure how I feel about this, like, at all. But this week, before we get into our weekly readings and forecasts, I want to have a small discussion. I have decided that for my own mental health and well-being, that the previous upload schedule didn't really make sense. So instead of doing, you know, a weekly Monday morning episode with just readings and then like a Friday upload every other week, I'm just going to consolidate everything into one big Monday morning episode. I will try to keep them short. I can't promise anything. Today's script is six pages long because we have things to discuss. But before we go any further, I also want to make it very clear here what my mission for this podcast is because I feel like I've been experimenting and playing around with content without really giving you, the listener, any true statement on who I am and what I do. So My mission here at Indigo Magic is to give clients and customers and followers a community of support and the tools that they need to heal their spirits, reconnect with the divine, and discover their own power in the world. And my vision for this, even though I'm in the starting stages, is that Indigo Magic is a place that offers spaces and services to help those healing from religious trauma find their own spiritual beliefs, and step into their power and faith through esotericism and mysticism using tools such as tarot, astrology, and group healing. So this podcast is going to shift gears again. I'm still going to be doing these weekly readings because I believe getting in touch with the divine is very necessary for finding peace in the busyness or uncertainty of life each week. But before we do that, each episode, I want to discuss different topics on spiritual healing, especially coming out of an evangelical tradition and how to find your own beliefs and your own spiritual power. The episode on color correspondences that I did a couple weeks ago is a great example of this. We did an exercise where I gave you the historical and traditional understanding of some colors, but then I also ran an exercise where I helped you find your own correspondences of each color. So we'll be discussing not only things along those lines and about witchcraft and how to find your power in that, but also about Christian and evangelical culture because that's who I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve Christian mystics that are deconstructing their faith or are looking for a new spiritual community even after being hurt by the church. So just a heads up, we will be discussing some pretty heavy topics from time to time because healing is hard work. People go through some really awful stuff, especially the hands of the church. And I just want to make sure that like you understand that like if this doesn't vibe with you or you're not in a place where you can handle heavy topics, I totally understand. I do not feel bad if you have to move on to something else or another podcast. This energy is not for everybody at every time, you know? Don't feel bad about having to set aside Monday morning magic until you're ready again, okay? All of the episodes are still going to be there, no matter how cringy I think my first episodes will be in like a year or two years. Everything is still going to be here for you to come back to when you're ready. All right. 
This week we will be discussing something uncomfortable, and we will be talking about the hierarchy and power of abuse within the evangelical and Protestant communities. If this is something you've been directly affected by and do not feel safe listening to this topic or feel as though it is damaging to your healing process and your soul, I am going to encourage you to come back later on in this episode at the timestamp provided in the show notes, or to simply put this episode aside and come back again next week and join us with a different episode, or pick this episode back up when you feel safe and ready to do so, okay? So, this episode is inspired by the amazing Brenda Davies at God is Grey and her recent conversation she shared with us where she talked to Stell, who is the daughter of Matt Jacobson, who leads a group of other couples who run ministries over in the Pacific Northwest, mostly home churches and blog style ministries, um, and like Instagram ministries kind of a thing. I know I gave my initial comments about this on my Instagram stories when I first watched the episode last week, and Brenda and a couple of other progressive influencers shared it, and that's probably where you found me from. So welcome, hello. I'm going to keep talking about it because it's important, but I'm also so thankful that you guys are tuning in and listening and giving me a chance to help heal your soul and your traumas. But for the past week since I watched that video, and I've watched bits and clips of it again over the week, there have been some things stirring around in my heart, in my mind, about holding those in pastoral leadership positions accountable. And I also had somebody ask me, how am I able to look at and discuss and take in stories about pastoral and religious abuse so, like, quote-unquote, easily? That I will talk about later um, in an Instagram post sometime this week. But right now I want to talk about this holding pastoral leadership positions accountable. For me, it was very easy to listen and discern that Stell's story is true and it is painful that it is true because I have also seen pastoral abuse in my personal life and experience within the church. So this idea of outspokenly holding leaders and pastors accountable and responsible for their behavior seems to be very scary to evangelicals. Um, I'm not sure where exactly that started, but it seems to be pretty pervasive. Not a lot of people feel safe or comfortable with calling out pastors when they say something contradictory to the Bible or they behave in a way that is contradictory of what we know to be a pastor's behavior and the way that they're supposed to be interacting with the world. I think after the Me Too movement began, we did see a lot of Church Too movements where people were calling out pastors and those in the leadership positions of doing horrendous things and getting away with it because nobody wanted to question a man of God. However, being a pastor and a man of God does not equate you to Jesus. You are not sinless. And oftentimes, pastors are not given any accountability for their actions. So coming from a biblical perspective, it is very clear that accountability of both positive and negative behaviors is highly, highly encouraged and even commanded throughout the entire New Testament because of situations that we now see as pervasive across an entire global subculture. We see what happens when people are not held accountable for their actions, when people are not held accountable for their beliefs, for saying something contradictory to the Bible, for behaving in ways that is not becoming of a quote-unquote man or woman of God. 
And even in Proverbs, it says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, right? Accountability is not about watching someone to condemn them as soon as they mess up. It is about walking this spiritual existence through the physical world and having someone alongside of us helping us and guiding us and supporting each other along the way. When it comes to holding leadership accountable, it is absolutely imperative. These are the people we are trusting with our soul's health and well-being. We should be able to hold them to a higher standard of behavior than we hold anyone else in the congregation. In fact, James goes so far as to say we will hold stricter judgment on teachers. In chapter 3, he talks about the tongue as a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can a salt water produce fresh. And it's really showing that like this double standard of how you behave in one sense and then how you behave in another sense is absolutely not going to fly when it comes to somebody who is in a leadership position in a spiritual situation. You cannot love God and curse your neighbor. That's not how this works. If you love God and curse your neighbor, you curse God. And again, in Luke 12, Christ himself said, Who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to those whom they have entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. As someone entrusted with so high a calling as to shepherd and tend to the souls of others, and especially those most vulnerable, like children, you have so much responsibility on your shoulders. It is not for everyone. It is not for the faint of heart, and it is absolutely 100% not for those who are just looking to have some sort of power in the world. What really gets me is that in Luke, Jesus says very plainly that the master who knows, who knows in his heart that his own master is going to hold him accountable, still goes on a power trip and beats those under his care. But thankfully, it is very clear that the slave who knew his master's will and did not fall in accordance will receive an appropriate punishment especially in this case of Matt and Lisa Jacobson, when Stell has come forward about her father's physical abuse via corporal punishment and that he teaches that same thing to those he mentors. 
Matt Jacobson claims to be a man of God who is teaching the Bible, who knows the Bible, but yet still continues to treat his children in this manner. He actively says that it should hurt the child to punish them because you need to break the child in order to train them. As someone who did experience severe physical punishment for a time in my life, I can tell you that it absolutely does break the child, but there is not anything you can do to then train up a child in the way they should go because you have now lost all credibility as a leader, as a provider, and you are no longer an authority in their head. You are a monster. You are an abuser and you are someone they need to get away from as soon as they possibly can. Thankfully, those in my life who hurt me physically did see the error of this and they did stop using such a means as discipline. But my point is that there are so many verses in the Bible telling you not to harm a child as they are telling you to spare the as they are telling you not to spare the rod. Jesus even goes so far as to say that if anyone hurts a child, they should have a stone tied around their neck and thrown into the river. I don't think he was being metaphorical there. Children are precious and are learning. And as someone who is learning, they will make mistakes. And that is okay. There is a way to teach a child right and wrong without causing undue pain or abuse. There are absolutely 100% ways to teach a child the right way to live. And it does not involve beating them until they're screaming. Back on subject, accountability of leadership. I find it incredibly frustrating, especially with the group of people that Brenda talks about, that it seems to me as though all of them lack the credentials needed to be a truly ordained pastor. Looking at Matt Jacobson's about page, there is mention of studying at two different colleges for five years, but there is no mention of graduating and no mention of being ordained into a pastoral position by a church body or by a denominational board. It is also very common knowledge that his mentee, Dale Partridge, has started a Bible college where he himself has never finished seminary and has not been ordained as a pastor either. You know, as much as I complain about the Southern Baptist Association and their theology as a whole, the way that they go about training up and ordaining pastors is actually very biblical and very um, strict and, and guided. And it's absolutely brilliant. Obviously, it has its flaws because some people are incredibly good liars. Um, and they also have a very strict idea of who can become a pastor. But it is based on the biblical outline for teachers and leaders. So what what even are those? Like, what makes a good pastor biblically? Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lays out the groundwork for how to vet leaders within the church. In modern day interpretation, this includes pastors and bishops. Um, and many denominations now use it as a basis for anyone they hire or bring on staff. Um, so let's just jump into it. Um, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for it is someone 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Looking at verse 4, I am sure Matt Jacobson would say he is following this guideline. However, verse 3 also says that he should not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. From Stell's testimony of life in the Jacobson home, we can 100% say that Matt Jacobson is a violent man. There is also something that is overlooked here in verse 7. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace. If you are a part of a religious community, and there are people outside of that religious community saying that your pastor is a bad man or a bad pastor for whatever reason, that's probably a red flag. Because outsiders, honestly, are not going to care about what a pastor says or does because he is not their pastor. But if word gets out that your pastor has done some awful, awful things and the outside community is talking about it, then something is very clearly wrong, such as the case here in Tum- with the Tumalo Bible Fellowship. Word has gotten out about Jacobson's transgressions, and now there is no hiding. Likewise, Paul lays out guidelines not just for pastors and bishops, but for deacons and other lower-level, quote-unquote, leadership positions in the church as well. He says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, that let th- then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve as well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say this, and it's going to piss some people off. But the kind of men that Paul is describing here and in the previous passage are men who are in tune with their divine femininity. These are men who are patient and kind and caring and compassionate, all of which are qualities that are traditionally feminine. A macho man who has no idea how to cry and how to have healthy male friendships is not going to be a healthy leader. A healthy leader is in tune with the mystery of the divine and through his service, gains confidence in their own faith. These are not positions of power. These are positions of service. You're not here to look good. You're here to push up your sleeves and get down and dirty, and to pull up the least of these. These guidelines aren't a lot. They're not these impossible expectations of how you have to behave. But if you cannot even follow these guidelines, how can we expect you to be in a right relationship with the Lord? And that's the point, is that these are markers of being in right relationship, not only with the Lord, but with your spouse, with your children, with your congregation. So as a member of a congregation, not in a leadership position, how can you hold your pastor or leader accountable? Just like Brenda said, Christ says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, 
Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I have an example of this from my personal life. The pastor that I was taught under growing up was my pastor for over 10 years until college. He was incredibly smart, very well taught, but he was often very aloof and didn't have a lot of close personal friendships. He was very strict in the way he wanted his children, two of whom were my best friends growing up, uh, to be raised. And they were also homeschooled, so they wouldn't be defiled by the world, basically. Which, a lot of that should have already been red flags about the way he treats his children and the way he expects others to be treated. It didn't really show up until later, though. But when I was a junior in college, my parents called me and my sister one day after church and told us that he had been outed as having an affair with the children's minister, with the children's ministry director. His son found out, and from what I understand, did exactly what he was supposed to do. He went to his dad and asked for an explanation, and when that wasn't seeming to do anything, he went to his mom, and they went to the deacons, and the deacons held him accountable for these actions. When he basically refused to end the affair, and instead wanted to leave his family, they fired him and brought the transgression before the church and the church cut him off. And that is exactly the way it should be. It is painful, especially when it is somebody in leadership who knows better. But that is honestly the kindest way to deal with sin. You are giving them three chances to repent and correct course. And if they still want to live that life that they know is not beneficial, that is on them. That being said, there is a really good article that I found that lays out some systems so that pastors can garner that accountability within a congregation before anything ever happens. This comes from Verse by Verse Ministry, which is a non-denominational, unaffiliated ministry that is clearly evangelical, so tread with caution when it comes to anything else put out by this ministry. But for this specific topic, they really break down a good understanding of how to build accountability systems for pastors and those in leadership. First of all, you need a diversified leadership program. You have three different kinds of leaders, which helps diversify spiritual gifts within the church. And it also gives more people opportunities to lead if they feel called to. Um, you have pastors, deacons, and elders who aren't always clearly labeled in most evangelical circles. But from what I understand, this is like actual elders in the church who have lived a long life and have experienced life and they are spiritually mature people. After you have this diversification of leadership, it takes off a lot of pressure off of head pastors and others in those positions because now not only do they have a support system about the functions of leadership, which can be a lot, especially if you are a full-time pastor, but it also, you now have this support system in place where you are called to have consistent, clear communication with other leaders and have an honest discussion about personal shortcomings in your life or have an honest and have like, like loving and honest feedback concerning behavior and decisions. And this article only keeps that part of it, the clear, consistent communication within the understanding of a leadership group. However, I would go so far as to so extend this to any leader, especially a pastor, especially a pastor, being open and honest with his congregation from time to time as well. 
I'm not saying you have to do it on like a weekly basis. Like after the Sunday service is over, he's like, all right. And here's how I send it this week. I'm not saying that at all. Most churches have a quarterly business meeting that is open for all to attend um, because it is your money that you're tithing. You deserve to know where it's going. And I would really suggest that as a time, yeah, I would really suggest that as a time for leaders to check in with their congregation and ask for prayers and support and let them know how they've been struggling or how they haven't been struggling. And finally, it is suggested that pastors and leaders have very clear boundaries when it comes to personal interaction. This article suggests that like male pastors should not be left alone with a woman who is not their wife. And part of me thinks that's ridiculous, but at the same time, coming from my past experience, it makes sense. It's not a terrible idea, especially if that pastor knows himself and knows that it could be a problem. They also mentioned that pastors should never have unmonitored access to ministry funds. And I honestly cannot believe that I haven't thought about this before. Um, church fraud and embezzlement is a rampant problem everywhere. Um, and it might even more so be like a bigger, it might even be a bigger problem than like spiritual abuse and misguiding now that I think about it and how many stories have come out over the years about pastors embezzling funds from their churches and then leaving the church in debt, you know? And so that makes complete sense. So if you are concerned about the way your spiritual community is being run as a congregant and how your pastors are being held accountable, bring it up. Have a meeting with your pastors. Call a meeting with all of your leadership and tell them and offer this as a guideline. I know that not all pastors are power hungry and many of them do start out at least genuinely loving the Lord and wanting to do what's best for those who have trusted them. But power is a hell of a drug. And accountability for you as a congregant and for you as somebody who's healing from spiritual abuse can be an incredibly healing process for both the transgressed and the transgressor. And I think it's absolutely necessary, but severely lacking in our current evangelical tradition. I think that's one of the biggest things that's come up recently is that there is zero accountability for pastors. All right, time to climb off my soapbox and talk about what's coming up this week. Um, as always, we come to center and we ask the spirit. What do we need to keep in mind for our healing this week? So this week, our Bible passage comes from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 through 24. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. 
and with them we are sending our brother whom we have tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. I think this passage actually ties in very well to what we were just discussing. This brother traveling with Titus has been tested and found to be earnest and holy and has been appointed by church leaders to spread the good news of Christ. In this passage, Paul is telling the Corinthians, these men are traveling to you because I love them and I know them and they love the Lord and I am vouching for their legitimacy. They are coming because they are earnest and passionate about this. When it comes to what we can take into consideration during our healing this week, I feel very drawn to verses 21 and 22, and then also verse 24. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. It feels like Paul is saying we are excited about what is going to happen because what is about to happen is for the Lord. I think the Spirit is really trying to tell us that it is okay to be excited about what is moving in the world and how goodness does really take many different forms. But we know that we must aim to be honorable, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of man. I think what this means is not that we must follow the status quo, we must follow evangelicalism, we must do what, you know, people think that we should do. I think what this means is that we present our understanding in our own faith in such a way that is humble and gentle so that those who disagree can see the love of God coming from us and that they respect us for being grounded and rooted in our faith, even if that faith looks different than theirs. And then verse 24 really calls us to show up and love each other. That love is overflowing from God, and so too can we allow that love to overflow to those around us. I think this passage is also suggesting that there's a joy in accountability, in knowing that there are those that, who are coming to lead and to guide and are doing so in a righteous manner for the love of others and the love of God, right? Moving on to our tarot cards, we are doing a mind-body-spirit spread again, asking the spirit how we can focus on healing each of those aspects this week. Um, interestingly enough, all of these cards this week were reversed, um, but I'm not going to read them as such. I think what that means is that these cards are all showing blockages that we are having in our collective healing processes. Um, so I'm just going to focus on the cards as they would be read upright because I'm not feeling super connected to the reversed readings. So for the mind this week, we have the justice card. Honestly, this card is pretty straightforward. It's the card of equity, honesty, greater power. So for your mind, what I'm getting is that there's something that is keeping you from speaking the truth or something that is holding you back from speaking eloquently. The deity on this card is Ogma, who is the Celtic ruler of speech and language, as well as eloquence and learning. 
So what this could be is that you're feeling really drawn to either learning how to communicate better, learning how to speak, going off on a deep end. It could even be that you're trying to learn a foreign language or the language of your ancestors. Part of the healing your mind is exercising it and that could definitely be something that you feel called to do. I'm also getting a studying vibe from this card. Not in like an official I'm taking a class and studying for it sense, but more of like I'm taking a deep dive down Wikipedia for four hours a day, every day, for a week. Kind of a feeling. Just letting your mind wander and soak up information is a great way to learn and find something that sparks a desire to learn more, right? So then for your body this week, we have the Four of Swords. Now listen, y'all know me. I've said it before. The Swords and I are not friends, but they keep popping up and want to chat, okay? I don't know why. They just really think that I have work to be done with them. But the Four of Swords is really a symbol of isolation. But the Four of Swords is a really a symbol of isolation. Most of the time, the figure in the card is laying down, um, surrounded by his swords for protection. Um, I'm really getting this feeling of setting boundaries so that you can rest. Oh, sorry. This card is often a symbol of meditation and deep contemplation because the swords are linked to the intellect. But in the case of a physical body, yes, ma'am. In the case of a physical body, y'all need a nap. <laughs> I'm going to suggest taking a page out of my mom's book and tell you to schedule a nap. Take some time out of your day and take a nap. It doesn't have to be long. You don't have to have to fall asleep, but take time to rest where you are uninterrupted and can just breathe. Your body is tired this week and it is okay to take a break. So, for our spirit this week, we have the Hierophant. I feel like, if I'm remembering correctly, the Hierophant popped up recently as a spirit card as well, also in reverse. Um, but, so this card is the card of hierarchy and systems. And honestly, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that since this card was reversed, it's time to upend those hierarchies. I think there's a big wave in the spiritual community especially since it's retrograde season where old systems are being knocked down. Find a way to hold those leaders in your life accountable, not just pastors, but political leaders and family members. Yes, ma'am. Exactly. Preach it. Family members, bosses, other spiritual leaders, your spirit cannot grow if it is being bound by rules and traditions that are no longer serving a good purpose. Heal your spirit. Let go of those expectations and hold those who have done wrong accountable. All right, rounding off this reading today, we've got our Oracle card of the week and we have communication. Y'all, y'all, <laughs> the spirit is moving and shaking today. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> All right, so description of the card. Communication is key with other humans, perhaps, but more importantly, with your spirit guides and teachers. <laughs> oh. Y'all, I have not had such a cohesive reading in a long time. Something big is happening, y'all. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Practice your listening and speaking skills, both in this physical world and in the spiritual realm. There is much that you need to say and even more that you need to hear to strengthen your relationship to spirit. 
this card is pretty straightforward. Accountability is the theme of this week, and we are going to be moving and shaking and speaking of confidence. And listen, communicating honestly and openly can be very scary. I'm not going to sit here and say that it isn't. I get chills and get shaky every time I do a reading because communication on such a vulnerable level is intense. And the fear of judgment for what you say is always there in the back of your head. But honestly, this message has come up for me multiple times in my life, but be scared and do it anyway. And I think this communication card is giving us that same message. Be scared, but do it anyway. Be scared, but say it anyway. Be scared, but call out injustice anyway. If you want to meditate on this card, daffodil is a great flower to work with. It's a little teeny tiny trumpet that can enhance the ability to both hear and speak with the spirit wall. And angel light is a stone that promotes communication with both the spiritual and physical realm. The affirmation for this card, I think, really does help ground you and kind of let go of some of that fear. I would definitely suggest meditating on it for this week. I am a skilled communicator. I speak with clarity and kindness. I listen attentively without prejudice or prejudgment. I ask questions and cultivate curiosity. All right, guys, I think that is all I have for you this week. I know this episode is a bit longer than normal, but I think this is going to be our new normal. I think this was a very important thing to speak about. Again, if this was uncomfortable for you, it could be that you're just not ready to do that work yet. So don't push yourself too far. If you feel like that is not what you're supposed to be doing right now, then don't. But just know that there is a wave coming through the spiritual community, through religious circles. And we're just holding people accountable for their actions. All right? Even if it was years ago. What they do and what they say needs to be brought to the light. Okay? So, I will talk to you all next week. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, yada yada. (laughs) And I will be back to talk to you all for next week's Monday Morning Magic. Blessed be y'all.